Hello and welcome to the Selection Show. I'm Ian Heath, a news editor of CityWire Selector. And with me today, dialing in from Paris, I have Jacques Aurelia Marcereau. Thanks for joining us, Jacques Aurelia. Hey, good morning. Jacques Aurelia is Edmund de Rothschild's deputy CIO, and he runs the firm's tech impact and big data funds. Today, we're going to be speaking about two big topics, how modern communication is influencing investing, how the rise of artificial intelligence might impact investing. So let's start off. Jacques Aurelian, how are modern communication trends affecting investing? And what must investors do to avoid the pitfalls? Okay. So um, good morning, everyone. And thank you, Jan, for having me today. So clearly, modern communication had a big, big impact on, um, on investing. And I have to say that many companies today are fighting a war to, to get attention because we are in an attention economy. So people need to, to care about what you are doing. So clearly, uh, with the stage of AI, uh, we have many companies trying to, to be, let's say, considered as AI company who are trying to portray themselves as being in the trend. So this kind of over-communication and trying to be always on top um, is creating pitfalls to the extent that a lot of companies might be pretending rather than something else. So uh, investors need to be really, let's say, focused uh, to, f- to fend off these kind of issues. Okay. And what do you mean by that? Uh, companies might be pretending to be something else. Do, do, do you have like, examples of that? Sure. I mean, if we go back in time and we think about the, the metaverse trend, a lot of companies, uh, we are not really metaverse-related companies, and they knew it that they were not really metaverse-related companies, but still, they understood that the market uh, was surfing on this web and that companies that were associated with this trend would would move upward, maybe because retail investors will push them, maybe because algorithm will push them, you know, on the upside. So even though they were not truly a uh, metaverse company, they will try to find a way to portray themselves as a metaverse company. And it's not outright lying. It's just, you know, trying to make things look uh, a bit different from what they are. And the reason why they wanted, they wanted the stock to go up and they, they knew that when the hype will go back to the way it was previously, nobody would blame them for, you know, being, you know, um, uh, let's say a metaverse-related companies. Because one thing that is important, especially in finance, is if economists uh, were judged on their past recommendation, everybody would get fired, you know, you know, because predicting the future is hard. And a lot of companies take us the same premise. I mean, let's say we are on board and nobody will blame us for saying we are metaverse or blockchain company. And, which is not the flavor of the day anymore. So that's, that's I would say, the, the big shift. And this big shift has been driven by two things. I believe that the radical disruption that um, Donald Trump brought in the political scene where, you know, it was better to quote attention and to say things that were factually objective uh, as long as you capture attention. So he was very su- successful in doing that. And another example would be Elon Musk. I mean, Elon Musk has been very successful in capturing attention, sure, even though sometimes he was over-promising on, you know, uh, auto, his autopilot or uh, some other topics. But it was not an issue at the end of the day because with that, uh, he managed to spend almost zero on marketing for Tesla for the last 20 years, which is an amazing feat. So now other tech companies are trying to replicate this strategy. Say, okay, let's be a bit inspired by Trump and Elon Musk and make sure we get our 
free publicity, even though we might not say things that are 100% correct. So I hope it helps. Yeah, I'm happy to elaborate further if you want me to. Well, that's amazing too. And uh, you feel really it was it was Trump who kind of started this trend in a sense. Definitely. And now you have a following that is much, let's say, much, much bigger than that. I mean, if you take Microsoft, 10 years ago, Microsoft used to be a very boring company from a communication standpoint. I mean, they were always kind of double, triple, quadruple checking what they would say and Nobody really paid attention, but at least what they said, you could say, okay, I take it for granted. Now with AI, they venture into a lot of predictions, a lot of, let's say, forward-looking statements, which are very bold and which might end up being true, uh, but we don't know for sure. But you can see that this time around, Microsoft, I say, won the PR battle on AI because it was super aggressive, because it learned from the two previous examples I didn't mention. Okay, uh could you tell me a little bit what are these super aggressive tactics you talk about we've actually seen um quite a lot of um negative talk about ai haven't we because i'm quite kind of fearful and um you know um almost cataclysmic talk about it at, at times <laughs> but but um what sort of tactics have, have, have um people like microsoft been using um would you say to promote themselves as always some of it perhaps in being neg on the negative side I mean, maybe one thing that was also learned from from Trump, Trump and uh, is that even bad publicity is good at the end of the day because it makes uh, the topic center stage, uh, even though for bad reason. But you know, it keeps it on top of people's mind. So this is why uh, I will not use Microsoft on this, but maybe more Sam Altman, uh, who is the CEO of OpenAI, which is a partner of Microsoft, by the way. Uh, why would he say that his AI is dangerous and could keep people and would need to be regulated and then try to meet with presidents across the world with uh, Emmanuel Macron in France, but also with Mongolia, you know, uh, top leaders. I mean, to keep, to keep the buzz alive, because if my technology could kill, then you need to pay much attention to it. So then we need to talk about it and you stay on top of the conversation and you stay on top of the attention. So. Even though the message is clearly negative, nobody wants to be killed by AI. And mm. let's be honest, uh, AI is not about to kill anybody so, so far. Uh, I mean, we already have humans for that. So um, so that's, I mean, I would say a concrete example of let's have bad publicity, but still publicity nevertheless. So good, good to get. Um, I would say certainly in the UK, the um, adage, you know, any publicity is good publicity goes back a few decades. Yeah. But, um, uh, maybe it's taken a different turn with uh, the advent of social media. You say is, is that was kind of? Would you do you think that's what's driven this um, latest tr tr this trend that we're speaking about? Yes, I I, I would say I, you're right. It dates a few decades ago. I guess the new thing is that corporates and listed corporates embrace this type of uh, attitude, which yeah. were, which was more useful. You know, for retail or for artists, etc., which are yeah. more like, you know, let's shock everybody. But so, you know, it's back it's in the corporate world. And I think social media, as of course, uh, plays a part, a part in because it's uh, super fast, it spreads like a wildfire. So a, a good tweet can be as efficient as a, a huge and expensive PR campaign. So 
So yes, clearly social uh, social media are making this thing uh, an order of magnitude bigger than it used to, for, for sure. If this trend has uh, permeated the um, investing world to this extent, what must investors do to um, navigate this? I mean, how do they avoid the pitfalls we've been speaking about? Sure. Um, maybe before answering your question, and just one thing I forgot to, to add to your previous question. Sure. The reason why corporate engage into that is that as we are in a globalized world, and especially in technology, there are sometimes what we call self-fulfilling prophecy. To put it differently, if everybody hears about OpenAI and everybody is convinced because everybody is talking about OpenAI that OpenAI is the best technology, then people might well end up using OpenAI, right. learn to use OpenAI, and then OpenAI will win because it won the kind of perception battle. And it's true that in technology, it's not always the best technology that wins. And if we go back in time, Microsoft operating system was not the best one. And I don't want to be rude to Microsoft because it's a fantastic company, but some OS that did disappear were maybe better, but not, not good at communicating it or going to the market. So, so the fact that these companies are very active on communication is not just for the faint of heart. It's really, I mean, to, to take market share and earn hard dollars or hard euros or hard, uh, whatever currency you want at the end, at the end of the day. So that's maybe one thing I, I had to add, sorry for, for disrupting the flow. So back to your question, which was, sorry. Well, how to avoid the pitfalls of this, how do investors sure. um, back the right horses? Um, I mean, it's quite interesting that you mentioned, uh, it's not necessarily the best product, which wins out at the end of the day, but, um, maybe there's something you can speak about as well. Sure. So the, the best way for investor to, to deal with that is to add a Another dose of skepticism when it comes to um, claims that are made by tech company. Uh, what we do internally at Emerald Rothschild is we rely more and more on experts on the ground to give us feedback. Let's say, to give you an example, if a cybersecurity company is very vocal about having the best product on earth, um, we'd rather talk to people that are reselling competitors and the company's product and that we tell us that uh, is, it, is the product really better and why is it doing well in the market rather than just relying on what the company would tell us. So I think double checking, triple checking is really something that needs to be, to be done. Um, and the good thing, which is the opposite side of the internet is that company, companies leave a lot of traces on the internet. I mean, think about the class door reviews. You can tell how good your company are, but uh, if the, if the interns and people leaving your company, um, write really bad reviews about, you know, uh, your sales momentum and the quality of your product. I mean, you cannot, you know, uh, you cannot make them, you know, write what you want them to do. So these are very interesting data points. As companies move online, they have a lot of traces that can be used to kind of double check what they say, but it's expensive, takes time, um, and resources. So, so it's clearly a, a job in itself. Okay, it's interesting. Yeah, we've never had so much data at our fingertips. So I suppose there's the kind of flip side of the internet, kind of too much data, but having as much as you need to do the research you need. Okay, it's interesting. Okay, let's move on and talk about um, artificial intelligence. Um, you run um, two tech, tech funds uh, for Edmund de Rothschild. Um, this has been a huge uh, talk, talking point this year, the emergence of AI. Uh, I like to get your read on it what investment 
opportunities you feel at this stage and um, who you think might be the winners and losers in the grand scheme of things? Sure. So that's a, that's a wide question. I question. I try to do, <laughs> I try to do my best. Um, first of all, I just like to, to remind our audience that, um, AI has been around for quite some time and different form of AI and some that are as sophisticated, if not better than large learning models, large learning models is what we talk about since the beginning of the year because of ChatGPT. What is very different large learning models versus the previous forms of AI that are already pervasive to some extent is that large learning models are easy to use for people, for anybody to use. I mean, as far as you learn to do some prints, you can use it. So the big shift is the fact that a larger uh, percentage of the population can take the tools and extract productivity from it. So in that, it's a huge revolution because you can bring AI to many people that could not use it previously. Uh, it is maybe we can do, draw a parallel between mainframe and uh, personal computer. I mean, mainframe were very right. powerful tools still in use, but a very kind of happy shoe would use it. Uh, and now when the personal computer came, households could start to use it. I think the same with AI. AI has been in the form of mainframe so far, and now it's starting to be more distributed. So the productivity gains will be there and it will be very important. Um, so that's maybe point one. Uh, point two, when it comes to investing tech, is that we all make the, the same mistake again and again. I mean, we overestimate impact in the short run, we underestimate impact in the long run. Meaning that you can see from Microsoft results yesterday, uh, or the day before, I don't remember exactly, but they said, okay, AI is coming, but maybe more of the 2024 events. Um, I mean, we strongly agree. It will take more time than, than maybe the market thinks to incorporate the technology, test it, make it viable, make it, let's say, safe. Uh, takes a lot of time. Just think about autonomous driving. I mean, autonomous driving from a technology standpoint, uh, we've been waiting more than 10 years for, for it. Uh, it will come at some point, but it took much longer than what people anticipated. Think about all the kind of thought leaders that told us that, I mean, oh, he did not need to have a driving license. I mean, all their kids have a driving license, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it will not come. So I think, yes, it will take more time to, to iron out, but it will it will happen. So in the short term, there is a risk of disappointment in the market because people really hope AI will save the day in terms of economic growth, restart the investment cycle, etc. We are more, let's say, balanced. We like it long term, short term, we think it will take more time than people expect. Okay, yeah. And would you say the excitement really been generated by um, ChatGBT, just like just that is the fact that where the state of the technology has got to, it's just all of a sudden visible to people. Yeah, I mean, I mean that that's that's a, a, a brilliant act of um, of Microsoft and uh, OpenAI is uh, make it widely known and and free and very expensive. But even though it's very expensive for them, I mean, one thing we have to keep in mind is that any request we do for free on ChatGPT cost OpenAI and Microsoft tons of money at the end of the day. And this is why, you know, if you followed the latest news. They are kind of optimizing the ChatGPT4 to make it less expensive, but the performance has deteriorated at the same time, at least on some tasks. So 
so it's kind of a balancing exercise, I, I guess. Uh, and clearly, Microsoft is perceived, as you said, to be the winner in that, uh, for sure. I'm, I'm convinced that uh, a lot of productivity worker on the planet will pay 10% or 20% more, or even a bit higher on their Microsoft license to have this kind of co-pilot integrated, for sure. Um, but I don't really believe this is where the true value would be created in the long term. Uh, long term, our strong belief is that the value will be created inside traditional companies that do own differentiated at scale data set with, with deep domain expertise, meaning that maybe if you are one of the largest insurers on earth uh, with uh, data on the claims and processing, and in the realm of millions, if not billions, then mm, getting your hands on LLM and leveraging, leveraging them might yield a lot of value uh, for you and your shareholders, maybe more than the one that will send you the algorithm and the computing power. But so far, we are seeing the stage where the market is only looking for the one providing the computing power, which is which is uh, logical because it's a uh, low-hanging fruit. Um, but we clearly believe that the value creation will be spread more evenly across the economy that maybe the market believe uh, and not be just like three or four winners. And we could talk about what Facebook is doing, which is interesting, but uh, I'll, I'll leave that if, uh, if it's of interest. Yeah. Okay, sure. Um, so, so, so just to drill down on that point, you, you mentioned insurance companies. So are you, are you talking about these kind of companies which have um, perhaps labor-intensive, sort of very data-heavy tasks? They're the ones where are going to be the beneficiaries of AI. Uh, yes, yes, totally. Uh, this is exactly my point. I mean, if you have a company with a, a very strong amount of data, which is a kind of raw material to train all these models, uh, and you have the right IT competencies, which is important, um, then on a three to five year time frame, I believe you can you can get you can extract productivity gain that will be very significant. Because even though I believe that for the foreseeable future, humans will still be in the loop. If you can make them gain 20, 30, 40% time uh, on a given task, uh, this is a huge transformation. And uh, one, um, one saying used to be, we see product, uh, computer everywhere, but not the productivity numbers. Uh, maybe this time around it will be different and, and we will see it. Um, but the very important point and why I talk about you know companies with large data sets is because our core belief is that the foundational model like ChatGPT and the very horizontal one that are good at everything, but excellent at nothing, um, will end up looking all the same. And the value will shift to the more like differentiated one that are more industry specific. Just to give you one quick example, uh, if you go on the internet and you do reviews of um, AI generating images like mid-journey, like uh, Adobe Firefly, like at table diffusion, like Dali, um, just start to all look the same. I mean, so why would you pay? Uh, I do personally pay for mid-journey. Uh, we still pay a few uh, 10 plus euros per month. Uh, if at some point the open source version is as good, I'm not sure. So, so even though these companies are incredible and adding technical processes to to show, um, maybe at some point it will be almost free to use for everybody because they will all look the same. So this is why we are not enthusiastic about like uh, 
generalist AI type of companies. And we really want guys with domain expertise. Uh, we believe this is where investors should look like, should look uh, in the future. And uh, the good thing is that this is not a part of the market that has been up the most. So maybe some interesting opportunities uh, remaining. Um, can I just talk a little bit about the macro environment at the moment? It's not the best probably for startups at the moment of interest rates going up, um, less liquidity floating around. How do you think that's going to affect this uh, kind of market, this um, software and uh, technology development market, which um, generally has benefited from these kind of lower interest rate environment we've had for a long period? Sure. I mean, if, if we take the generative AI space, which is a very na narrow one, if you're a company born in that space, or if you're a company that can claim to have some, let's say, links to that space that you can be associated with it, and back to our comment about the importance of communication, uh, then funding is not an issue at all. Uh, you get funding super easily uh, because right now it's a rush to get into generative AI and VCs are scrambling to write right. checks to, to that. But if you're not that kind of company, uh, it's not the same ballpark. I mean, across the world, it is said that there are 1,200 unicorns. Um, there might be less of them if we look at 12, 18 months from now, because the financing environment is harsher and the economy is also you know, slower than it used to be. It's decelerating. It's not recession-like, but it's close to. So, so it's a tough time. And if you take just the, the, the US market, 35% give or take of listed tech companies don't make money on a gap. So general accounting practice basis. So they will have an issue if things deteriorate. Um, but the good thing about that, uh, even though, I mean, I, I wish, uh, I don't wish any company to go bankrupt is that this company would be willing sellers. And so companies will get stronger by, by buying um, their competitors on the cheap. So I think consolidation is coming. Company will merge, get acquired. The landscape will be um, redesigned. Yeah. And this time around, the funny thing is that if you look at the last 10 years, the big tech was the one buying everybody. <laughs> I mean, uh, like tech Facebook, they bought yeah. Instagram, they bought WhatsApp, they bought whatever. But given antitrust is harsher, and thanks to the UK, it is getting harsher on, on uh, activation and, and in general, um, maybe the big tech will not be able to buy uh, even more power than they have today. So it will leave some breathing room, breathing space for smaller companies, uh, let's say tier two tech companies, to to make acquisition and maybe become challengers to the seven one that we always talk about these days that are kind of ultra dominant. So it might end up be a good thing to bring more competition to to the top guys. But clearly um, what I, the advice I always say to entrepreneurs in tech, especially the ones that are considering listing on the market or considering raising funds, accept a lower valuation and take the money to survive. Because if you take the money and your competitors don't, then you are in a good competitive position. So maybe you will create more value on the world because you will still be around five years from now and with less competition, I mean, you, you will get back to the valuation you wanted to. But right now, what is killing a lot of unicorns is that the founders thought of them as billionaires 
and now they are just on paper billionaires, but not in reality if they were to raise more money and they are waiting. And the more they wait, the more complex the situation will be. So I think this is kind of a vicious cycle that needs to be broken. So I clearly hope uh, these guys uh, raise money, accept lower valuation, and 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 thrive from here. Okay, um, move on to one last question before we round off the podcast, Jacques Aurelia. Um, we've spoken about what sort of industries might be affected by the raise of AI, and when we mentioned um, sort of data heavy, um, quite sort of admin heavy industries, that sounds a little bit like the financial services industry to to an extent. So. <laughs> to what extent do you think um, port- portfolio management might be affected by AI? Could we, could we have robots doing that sort of job in the future? Uh, I mean, in retrospect, that, that's, that's a great question, by the way, but in retrospect, I mean, the financial industry has always been a keen user of technology to try to automate everything that could be automated. So uh, AI is not new to the financial sector. Um that being said, I mean, I myself uh, registered for a beta of a company that raised a few million that is pretending to to generate automatic, automatically investment cases on the company. So uh, I'm really uh, watching the space with uh, curiosity and uh, trying to see what we can extract to, to make ourselves more productive and, let's say, more efficient. So clearly, I think things will come. So far, generative AI has not made, made big inroads outside of, you know, transcript, helping with getting summaries of meetings, etc. So it's nice, but I think the real thing is still uh, still to come. So watching for it. What I would just say as a, as a kind of maybe concluding remarks on my side is that, you know, when markets started, it used to be only humans trying to assess the value of stuff. Then came the momentum investors that tried to, to guess what what people were thinking and not looking at the value of stock. And then came the algorithm, first generation. Then came the ETF, passive investing. And now this new generation of AI, we just add more chaos to what makes stock price what it is on top of retail investors. So if anything, market gets even more complicated every time we we add more technologies or more more ways to invest to it. So uh, I think Yes, the way stock market will evolve is unpredictable and will remain so for the foreseeable future, but maybe AI can help along the way. So, so yes, we need to prepare to invest, but, you know, banks are also very heavily regulated, so we cannot uh, we cannot do uh, anything and everything. So sorry for this long answer, kind of not really answering your question, but uh, we're still figuring out, like, no other industries. So and that's maybe the important part. I mean, with generative AI, we are still figuring out what can be done, and it will take some time. So... We'll, we'll see what happens on that front. Okay. Jacques Aurelio Massaro, uh, pleasure speaking to you this morning. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Have a nice day.